Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hello, I'm so happy you're here joining us today. I hope that your New Year's is off to an incredible start. It's been a great first week, and I know I'm feeling ready to dive in and start some new projects and get going with bringing some of my visions and dreams to life. I hope you are too. And if you've been someone who's been struggling with time and feeling like you don't have enough time and feeling that constant time stress, like there just isn't enough hours in the day, and it's something that plagued you last year, it's time for you to take back your time and take back your life so you too can become joyfully productive on your terms. And so I want to tell you that I am offering, again, my Time Genius bonuses. It's a mastermind group um, in conjunction with Marie Forleo's Time Genius program so that you can design a fail-proof, flexible system to take back control of your time, your wealth, your life, and just completely reject this time stress trap that so many of us get caught up in. I want you to start off 2023 with freedom and full of energy and feeling like you have all the time in the world to do all the things you want to do. And so Time Genius opens up in just a couple of days on January 10th. And I hope that you'll jump into the Time Genius program with me and join me and some other amazing uh, women, entrepreneurs, uh, doctors, um, professors. We've had all kinds of incredible people in this Time Genius program inside my mastermind. And uh, it's whether you're working on a PhD or you're a mom, having a full-time career, juggling many, many balls in the air, uh, trying to create space maybe to um, build that side hustle or that side job that you would love to make your full-time job or whether even you want to write a book. Uh, It all takes a lot of strategic time management and creation and looking at your schedule in a really maybe even ruthless way and cutting out things that you don't need to really focus on and I can't think of a better way to start the year than by getting rid of some of the noise some of the stuff that isn't really enhancing or bringing value to my life um, or your life and really focusing on the things that are increasing my joy, you know, increasing my inspiration and are the things that I really want to focus on this year, the things that are so meaningful to me that often get set to the back burner. So things even like my practice, right, that often is not on the top of my to-do list, but ends up somewhere in the middle. Uh, So yeah, reprioritizing and Time Genius is definitely the program to help you do that. So I would love for you to join me. So keep an eye out for January 10th, where you can jump into the Time Genius Mastermind with me as we go through Marie Forleo's Time Genius program together. And speaking of Time Geniuses, Our guest today, Kate Silcox, 
is a time genius for sure. She has a master's degree and is the best-selling author of the book Healthy, Happy, Sexy Ayurveda Wisdom for the Modern Woman or for Modern Women. She has a degree in Hinduism and the Ayurvedic sciences and she is the founder of the Shakti School and the Ayurveda Shakti School. And so this is a course, a certification training course that is actually beginning soon in a couple of weeks that gives you a certification in becoming an Ayurvedic coach so that you can help uh, guide people through uh, enhancing their life uh, using Ayurveda and using the divine feminine aspects of Ayurveda. And so we're going to talk to Katie today all about what is the Shakti school, how is Ayurveda interwoven with this online training course, and how you can enroll and become a Tantra and Ayurveda health educator and Ayurvedic wellness coach. So it's a full year program that she is involved with at a very intimate level. It's her own creation. Uh, Many teachers I know have gone through this program and have loved it. And so I'm just so excited to connect and talk today with Katie Silcox, who is really a uh, powerhouse woman who has uh, done so much with yoga and Ayurveda. And we're going to find out how she creates all this time in her life and in her day to do all the things that she loves, coaching, teaching, connecting, writing, showing up for her students. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm so happy you're here today. I'm here with my co-host, Russell Case. Good morning, everyone. (laughs) Good morning. And we have a beautiful guest, glowing guest for you today, Katie Silcox. Hi, Katie. How are you? Hey, I'm, you know, as I was saying, I have a new puppy, so I don't feel super glowing. I'm glad. I'm I'm so happy to be called a glowing guest. I feel like a a new mom, but I'm other than that doing great. What kind of puppy is he? She's actually a miniature Bernie Bernese and a doodle, so a Bernadoodle. So partially, that is that's what I wanted. She's so good. She's so good. She's a good. I wanted that a little so fat, flashing pug. That's what I wanted. <laughs> and I was not was not allowed to have it. So we agreed. <laughs> we got the golden doodles instead. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. But yeah, lots of work at the beginning of the year. <laughs> and uh, that work still continues today. Yes. Yes. And for maybe a whole year. <laughs> Oh my lord! Don't I, scare me. I have a uh, an introduction for Katie that I could I'd like to offer for yeah, our please. our audience. Um, if you wouldn't mind, <laughs> Katie Silcox, M.A., is the New York Times bestselling author of the book "Healthy, Happy, Sexy: Ayurveda Wisdom for Modern Women," and soon to be published book "Glow Worthy," which we'd love to hear more about today. She's the founder of the Shakti School the world's premier online Ayurveda certification school. Her platform focuses on the convergence of ancient holistic medicine, modern science, and heart-centered 
spirituality. In a former life, she was cover model for Yoga Journal. It's amazing. And was <laughs> um, it says here that you were named one of San Francisco's best yoga teachers by Common Ground in 2009, which was the year that I that I moved to San Francisco. So <laughs> I, I, I imagine you weren't uh, in that list after 2009. You were the only name on it? Well, <laughs> it's deduction, you know. That's so cool. Are you still in San Francisco? No, no. I I moved back to my my little old Virginia. I'm in Virginia oh, now, in Sh- Charlottesville. Charlottesville, Virginia. Nice. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really nice. nice. Yeah. How long did you live in San Francisco for? I was there about five or six years, maybe. Yeah. Wow. I was I was there during what I call the pop yoga boom. Right. It was like. When yoga journal conferences like were really cool and, mm-hmm. and yeah. new and I mean no offense, Electric. yoga journal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just there there was a prana, there was like a real yeah. energy and and it was such a fun time to be yeah. a yoga teacher. So yeah. could we have maybe like rubbed elbows a bit in that time. You were there two thousand nine. Yeah. I what? was there probably like two thousand six to 2010 or 11 yeah something okay. like that okay yeah i don't i don't live in the the linear time world sometimes i'm like <laughs> i don't know how old i am or what year anything has happened in my life but yeah was it kind of like a like a yoga tree or like a larry schultz thing what what was what where were you centered around oh my lord i was all over the place i taught hmm. I did, I did teach at Yoga Tree. I taught in Oakland. I lived in Oakland, so I taught at Namaste. Okay. Uh, Montclair was my first yoga studio. Okay. Uh, so I was, I was more Oakland than SF, but yeah. I was, Fun. I, I was going across that bridge and in a beat-up convertible BMW with no windows. <laughs> and 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 I remember, you know, being a yoga teacher, you know, you don't go into that for the money. No. So I would I would drive across the bridge, just like you know, I'm a little Virginia girl. I'm like, please don't stop, please don't stop, because I knew that you get a ticket for like five hundred dollars if your car stops on the Bay Bridge. Oh, and I and no. I was like, I don't have five hundred dollars. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> that like the SF Bay Area yoga experience was a pretty stressful time in my life, actually. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It was. It's. It's a brutal economy. It is. For, I mean, even like police officers and firemen were moving out of the city and couldn't afford to live in it anymore. Everybody at that time. I knew left. Like almost all my good mm-hmm. friends from that time have gone, and it's it's quite sad. And you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm sure it's still wonderful in so many wonderful ways. But I, I am glad that I'm in a place that's way easier. Like to get in nature yeah. in ten minutes is really easy. Yeah, you know? that's so. nice. Yeah, but yeah. but if you weren't making one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year as a developer, Minimum. and then you'd have yeah. three roommates with that money right. to be able to right. afford eight thousand dollars a month, it was <laughs> exactly. just it was impossible. It's impossible. Place Where to are live. you guys? We're up in Canada now. I fled San Francisco <laughs> oh. for Canada. We're in Calgary, <laughs> Canada, <laughs> where it's much more reasonably priced. I could not nice. afford to live there anymore. <laughs> And Although things are quite expensive here too, but not I, like San Francisco. But I bought I was I was in a one bedroom rental in San Francisco and I moved here and I bought a Mick Mansion. It's not a Mick Mansion. It's it a is. Bungalow. It's got four bedrooms. It's a nineteen sixties bungalow. It's a ama- it's got a yard. We have I two know. dogs. I tell- I tell my friend, like I have a friend in London and I'm like, Oh, my little house. He's like, 
your 2,000 square foot palace? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. like, exactly. In Virgi- my, like my Virginia family's like Katie's tiny bungalow. Yeah. I'm like, you guys, like it's all about perspective, right? Totally. Mm. 100%. Yeah. Well, I want to I ask you a question. Um, I, I grew up in Louisiana and mm. I was definitely a deviant because I had these these secret interests in yoga mm. and meditation in uh, you know I was just a I would just kind of lurk around Slidell High and you know try and keep to myself but people knew you know they could smell it on you <laughs> and I'm just wondering what was it like for you because you said you got interested in spirituality and meditation um maybe I guess I guess you were 19 so you didn't have to hide that in high school but did you know <laughs> that you were different Oh, Lord, yes. I mean, <laughs> you know, I grew up Southern Baptist, and I loved it. Because mm-hmm. I can I can bow at the bhakti feet of anything, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. it, it worked for my little undulating heart yeah. for a time period. But mm-hmm. then I started to have more of a rational approach in high school. I was like, I don't think all my Jewish friends are really going to hell. Mm. Right. You know? And so I definitely started questioning things hugely in high school, but I had this amazing experience of, of, of going to college in Spain where I was in this very small sort of private school with all of these people from 400 different cities. And so it was like, wow. and I was like from Virginia, I'd never <laughs> been to a, a party before, you know, it was like a, yeah. bit, a huge culture shock. And it became really apparent to me that that like there was this huge wider reality than the religious upbringing I'd had, and so I did have like a formal conversation with my with my mom around leaving my birth religion, and and it and I still remember it being like one of the hardest things I've ever done, and how upset she was. But but if we kind of come full circle. I, I do give Eckhart Tolle and like Oprah Super Soul Sunday a lot of credit. Like <laughs> my, my mom is now like, oh, you know, Christ consciousness and like right. <laughs> a, a, everybody's going, you know, everybody's on their journey. And so my mom has had this huge evolutionary journey as well. Mm-hmm. And and so, but yeah, I felt, I did feel really different and I still work with the feeling of feeling really different. Mm. Like I, I, I still feel what one might call in our modern parlance, non-neurotypical. Right. And I think that that's a dog whistle for, you know, what in the olden days you, you may have been a priest or a priestess or a yogi or, or a spirit woman or a shaman, whatever word we're using our cultures just don't have a context for that anymore. Mm-hmm. And so we call it highly sensitive people. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah. that. Yeah. And, I'll ju- and I'll just say one more thing about yeah. that, maybe that could support the listeners as well. I always wanted to be a cool girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, w- I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be able to hit- kick it and hang out and do drugs and just go with the flow. <laughs> and like, I'm still working through it. Like I'm not a cool girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my my son asked me to be the his Dungeons and Dragons dungeon master for, his, <laughs> for him and his friends. I love and I said to I said to Jedi, I said, um, "You're going to want someone cool for that job, and I'm not cool. You understand?" <laughs> So you get it. Yeah, get I'm it. not. I'm not gonna be 
no, your friends are not going to look at me and think, oh, he's so cool. He's the dungeon master. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not going to work out. Unfortunately, that's that's amazing. I, I, I'm forgive me. This is a little bit off topic, but I, sure. how did you even get to Spain? How did that? How do you yeah. go from Southern Baptist Charlottesville, Virginia to like I'm yeah. a freshman in college in Spain? Like that seems like such yeah. a huge jump. I mean, it's not off topic. It's completely the work of the the self, you know, the soul, the soul journey, the thing that is not the ego that's guiding all of us just had a plan that I still mud wrestle with this, you know, force of soulfulness that's guiding me. But I, I, I mean, that's sort of the big answer, but the small answer is I was always really interested in other cultures as mm -hmm. a young girl. Like we mm -hmm. had, a, like my first experience of something that wasn't like the deep South was in the 1980s was a foreign exchange student. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And he was Argentinian <laughs> and he, I was madly in love with him, of course, of course. because it all gets yeah. projected out as yeah. like, you know, heart crushes. And so <laughs> I, and then I, I lived in Costa Rica for a, for a, for a summer first for like an exchange program myself. Yeah. And it was just over. Like I was like, I'm meant to travel the world and learn about culture. Wow. And, you know, luckily for me, my, neither of my, none of, no one in my family ever went to college. I was the first of my lineage and they just didn't know what I was doing. And so the, in their naivety, they let me go and do whatever I wanted. Whereas now I'm like, I would never let my kid do what they let me do. And it wasn't <laughs> that they were bad parents. It's just they were like, well, she's going to do what she wants. You know, like she's smart. <laughs> she's smart and smarter than we are. And not to right. say my parents aren't, of course, beautiful and brilliant in their own way. But I, I always had this very sort of directional um, mm. impetus to to my life. And it is only now at the age of 42 where I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm. And, <laughs> you know, that's a new thing for me. I've always been very, very directional. And, yeah. and I found a school there that sounded amazing. And what was, I, I what was that what school? You, yeah. What were you studying? Yeah. Um, I studied foreign languages and anthropology and it was an offshoot of St. Louis University. They have oh. a small very intimate, really cool campus in downtown Madrid, which was just wow. a, like, I know I was, I was actually 17 when oh, I arrived to amazing. Spain. And I mean, I had a curfew of like 1030. Right. And now all of a sudden I'm living in downtown Madrid, which was the party capital of Europe, going to seven story discotecas with like naked women in cages, you know, like, I mean, it was like, mm. Yeah. I mean, like now thinking back, mm. I'm like, oh my God, can you imagine letting your 17 year old <laughs> daughter? I would never do that. And like, but yeah, that, that was, but what, why it is related to the journey of spiritual practice is like, that is when I realized that I, I wasn't a party girl that wasn't going to work for me. I had a lot of anxiety, ac alcohol, drugs, all of those sorts of things never we're going to be my path because there, there was such a sensitivity. Mm. And that's when I started getting into yoga and meditation was mm. being around a lot of, you know, just wild living. And then <laughs> I got a job in an art, artificial intelligence think tank after college. Um, yeah, f crazy life. And, <laughs> and I was working for all these like super brilliant MIT computer scientists that literally nicknamed me the sacrificial virgin because <laughs> oh I had no idea. I didn't even have an email account yet. And they hired me because they were all sort of like 
autistically on the spectrum. And they were like, mm-hmm. we need someone who's like able to articulate emotion in a language mm-hmm. token. Mm-hmm. And so I got hired to, as my boss at the time said, teach the computers how to feel. Wow. <laughs> and so I did this for four years. And with the, and it was during the big boom of yeah. tech, one, mm-hmm. one of the big uh, it, it booms of tech. And they were worse than any frat party <laughs> I'd ever, any Madrid nightclub. It was a just complete debaucherous, crazy group of guys. <laughs> and I mean, I could tell you stories, right? And I was never really, I was never really a part of it. Yeah. And that is when I really was like, wow, these guys have the brains, they have the money. We had all of these power players coming in from German royalty, FBI agents, Chicago stockbrokers, wheelers and dealers. And I saw that they were not content. Mm -hmm. And I was young. And I was young. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, well, let's really learn about Eastern mysticism because these people are, you know, doing their best, but it wasn't the path for me. Yeah. Wow. Oh, so that- did you go to India after that experience? Mm-hmm. I got offered a huge raise and a promotion at that. I call, it's, I, it's hard for me to call it a company. For, it, it, was almost, <laughs> it was almost like a tech cult. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I got an offer for a raise and I quit and I said, I'm, and actually, I don't know if this is of interest, but I met someone who was writing a book on Eastern holy men, miracles and magic, do they really exist? Mm. Oh, cool. And he said to me, he was a, Ger- a German, uh, a, a guy from England, Piers Moreed, beautiful book called Honey and Dust. And he said, you should come with me and go to India and meet all these holy men. And I said, let's go. And so we went <laughs> in our great hubris and naivety to the weirdest places in India doing the weirdest thing. I mean, India, I'm sure you guys know, yeah. is like so w- hard it's weird to anyway. deal with. It's, it's weird, weird anyway, and yeah. weird, wounded, wonderful. It's all the things, yeah. but like we were going to the weirdest of the weird. And so <laughs> I had sort of a, a strong initiation into India. That's great. And if I, you can survive yeah. that, you know you'll go back. <laughs> I, I didn't survive. I, I will never go back. I, I, I humbly- kind of ego death. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I lived there for six months and I say that's that's enough for this lifetime. Yeah, wow. And and I loved it. And I met A.G. Mohan and Indra Mohan. Yeah. And, wow, yeah. And I lived in their realm for, for a month and that changed my life forever. The mm. the two of them, really. I, I consider them, I mean, I get teary. Their their kindness and their yoga is the real deal, you wow. know. And they and they they really initiated me. Oh, mm. beautiful. It's, yeah. it's amazing. I, 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 I'm just kind of g- genuflecting on on that particular time, you know, late '90s, and and that it did seem like tech was such a big deal. But at the same time, they were also like they were also in love with the '60s, and mm-hmm. so there was a kind of nostalgia for that, and and that meant doing a lot of acid, <laughs> and also like finding other kind of funky. Like if you could if you could get a chemist into your circle of raver discotheque friends, that was always good because he'd come up with all of these, <laughs> you know, n- you know, new off brand uh, psychedelics that, and then everybody was just like trying really hard to push the envelope of their mind. 
-hmm. And then they would go, you know, develop code Mm -hmm. during the day. And it was, it was, you know, um, it was like a Allen Ginsberg poem. Like I saw the best minds of my generation, you know, obliterated. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, then, then you end up somehow you find yourself in India. Like, it's just like, just like, George, well, let me, just like, let George me return Harrison. who I love, <laughs> but let me, let me return to that idea though, of the, the, the convergence between Buddhism, yogic thought and technology when I worked in this AI lab, the genius slash probably, you know, con man, crazy man that, that <laughs> ran it, I consider one of my first teachers too. And he said to me, what we did, what I didn't tell you is that we were predicting the stock market based on zero economic variables. It was all about uh, emotional language tokens. Oh, and we wow. were we were doing better than any we were one of the first predictive quant prediction prediction boxes. Mm-hmm. And he said, we're getting the predictions from fractals coming out of emotional data from the news media. Mm. That is fr- fractal. And he wow. was seeing these these patterns yeah. that he would then use to predict the stock market. And so right. My initiation into this type of Buddhist thought, yogic thought, was actually a technologist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. amazing. Who That's said, incredible. I'm tired of waiting on the people to wake up, including himself. Let's wake up the machines. Mm. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I thought, I don't think so, but I don't know if I can get down well, with this. But, you know, I worked for a while for... Um, the uh, this foundation that was founded by the the Jones family, Paul Jones and Paul Tudor Jones and Sonny Jones and Paul uh, recently um, fired a whole bunch of his of his staff. He's a he's a, um, a hedge fund manager, and he fired a whole bunch of his staff because his algorithmic models were performing better than his staff was. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So it's I mean that's really that's really happening. You yeah. Know, that, that, it's- and I think a testament to something really beautiful, which is we think that we know what's going on. We we have this mm. idea of the economy, or um, you know what what fundamental variables make these things move. When really, what's making it move is our psyche. Mm. But like our unconscious, that's it, the weird 100%. thing, right? <laughs> the unconscious, exactly. And you know, just look at this whole crypto thing. <laughs> it's just like, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. That's um, that's that's um, surprisingly turned into a a giant uh, pyramid scheme. Unfortunately, <laughs> surprisingly, <laughs> how surprising was was that? Yeah. Um, well, it's so cool, like that you're in this technology bubble, kind of, and then went into like. I mean, when I think of India, I feel like it's just like there's so much humanity there. It's like mm. so raw and real with like human life and and people and, you know, magical thinking and all the things that are mm-hmm. very, very human. Mm. And so it's so interesting that you had these these kind of experiences that were very much in contrast to each other. It seems to well, me. Well, the 
Psyche needs a compensation mechanism. And so what the East has provided for the Western psyche is a, is a compensation. And I think a lot of Western thought has really been formed on this sort of need for the East, if we're going to generalize, but a similar thing can occur. The individualism of the East kind of or West compensates for the East, but on a, on a more personal level, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, I, I think unconsciously these things are motivating us and mm-hmm. acting through us. And, you know, now I don't do a lot of downward dog. I don't, do, I mean, I do it every now and then for, for my health, <laughs> but I, I don't study the Eastern texts as much. And I've got, because I mean, they're all around me and I've dedicated 20 years of my life and love them and will come, come and go but I think it's really important for me and a lot of the people that I connect with and and see out there that we do connect with some of our Western mystical roots. And so Mm -hmm. lately I've been really intrigued by the work of Carl Jung and his disciples. And of course, you know, they were a product of their time, but I'm realizing now that these philosophers, even someone like Descartes, which our culture has so misunderstood and most people have never even read Descartes and Mm -hmm. think that he said, I think they're for I am. But if you actually read into these philosophers, they were yogis. Mm-hmm. They, they were all intuiting energy mm-hmm. and matter being connected, being one, being in, the, in the, that our psyche had an effect on the body and that the body was the psyche and body. And so it's been a real beautiful kind of 360 degree return to the root to have gone East. And I think in some ways we need to, you know, of course, respectfully as Westerners do that. But I think a lot of the yoga that we're looking for actually exists in our own traditions, Mm. which has been pretty mind blowing for me. And I think can be very helpful for people in particular when working with the imagery of their own body. You know, we, we come to yoga and there's so much beauty and mantra and yantra and imagery and visualization and tantra and laya and all of these technologies that we can, of course, respectfully borrow and use. But what I'm now learning is that there's a, there's a yoga that actually emerges out of our own psyche and out of our own body. And, and that's really where I am right now, you know, of just Mm -hmm. being really easy about it. Like what's going to show up? Can I just ask a a, a question? Um, you, you've got a, a lovely Southern drawl to you, but what's also sort of fascinating is to hear you uh, use your use your tongue in the proper way when speaking any sort of Sanskrit term. And I'm I'm interested. <laughs> Wait a minute, are you saying us Southerners don't know how to speak good Sanskrit? <laughs> Not to generalize, uh, but it is it is a fantastic. Um, you know, uh, contradiction, or I'm not sure if it's a contradiction, but it's um, it, hearing it is fascinating. Like how how we learn to speak Sanskrit by by chanting, and so yeah. we would go to our chanting classes and we chant over and over again, and, yeah. and you just sort of pick it up. And I wonder how how did you learn how to use your tongue? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. I am all I like you. I'm also a yoga snob. Yeah. I'm I learned from Mohan and, yeah. and we would sit in his room and 
Indra uh, mainly would teach us the yoga sutras and really they, they, they weren't sticklers for it, but they taught us not through being an overly disciplinarian approach, but we just repeated it over and over and over. And then I studied for 10 years with Rod Stryker and he was Mm -hmm. very, you know, really wanted us to get the Sanskrit right. Um, but also, you know, I, I have, you know, I, I went to school for foreign languages and I'm a musician. And I yeah. think when you have that musical ear, you can pick it up really well. And, you know, I've always mm-hmm. just been able to, to, to kind of um, impersonate people and, mm-hmm. to, and then it kind of becomes your own. Yeah. And I was married to a Spaniard for five years. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you, I, I'm just used to like pretending that I can speak all these languages <laughs> until I can. Well, that is what they, they told us in chanting that it like uh, that, so many students came into that class and and wanted to study Sanskrit or Sanskrit, as you said, uh, and would be kind of frustrated that they weren't like jumping into grammar day one Mm. or, um, Mm -hmm. how do you call that when you, um, constructing sentences, constructing sentences and all of that. It's like, no, 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 just, just listen, Mm -hmm. just, Mm -hmm. just repeat and don't use your mind just sit mm-hmm. and listen and absorb and almost like that's a kind of well that's how um, jai mm-hmm. would say yeah um like as that's how we naturally learn languages as children is by hearing as them. so that's exactly yeah, the first thing that the yeah. first sense to understand sound and language is your hearing hmm. yeah. when you want to fall in love bad enough you'll learn their language yeah. <laughs> yeah. When there's right. a motivation yeah. for the beloved, you'll learn whatever, yeah. wh- whatever way it shows up. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, there's a funny story I remember hearing about this Texan who went to India and, you know, really, really wanted to get enlightened and, and was given uh, a, a goddess uh, photo to worship this goddess and he was given you know by a quote tantric guru a mantra mm-hmm. and this texan goes back to texas and he stares at the picture of the goddess and he does the mantra in his like texas accent over and over <laughs> again and he goes and meets the this teacher that i was studying with a bit at the time and and he's like my life has gotten so much worse since i've been worshiping this goddess and chanting this mantra and and the teacher's like well chant it for me like let me hear it and mm-hmm. first of all show me show me this goddess who have you been worshiping and he pulls out <laughs> basically the current bollywood star like the pamela anderson of india <laughs> he he just had given them this like that photo of this random bollywood lady and so he's looking at her and then he's like um tram become ya jama hey su gandhi so he's doing exactly the Mahamrin- which mantra that is <laughs> yeah, the, mm. the Jaya like all hicked out and the, the 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 guru you know is like hmm i can see what your problem may be you know and so but the beauty of that story that and the point of why he told it was that he said even he who was worshiping this Bollywood picture, <laughs> chanting the mantra completely wrong. Yeah. His heart was so pure yeah. that it led him to these teachings that mm. he then was able to receive that really did continue to, to shift and change his life. And so I think I always tell students like way more important, the quality of the heart than the mm-hmm. perfection of the tongue. Mm. Yeah. Perfection yeah. of the tongue. Yeah. That's, yeah. Exactly yeah. what I was, what I was hearing in your voice. <laughs> well, thank. I'll take it. Oh, my ego has been up with a. My ego's loving this podcast. Yeah. No. I've been like covered in dog poop and like you know just 
haven't shaved my legs in 40 nights. You know, it's just mm. like, mm. wow, I just feel so happy to speak to uh, adults yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who are telling me I have a perfect tongue. Like how my, my afternoon just suddenly got great. Yeah. So, so much better. <laughs> I so do much better. I do want to talk about your books, but I just have this one more yeah. question that's interesting that you put in your background. Um, you were practicing yoga in India and it sounds like you're teaching yoga. Um, but then, it, and you, you commented on how, and how appreciative, appreciative you were of, of your, of being, um, flattered about your tongue quality. <laughs> you said, you said that you, you sometimes struggled with anxieties and emotions. And I, and it's, it's, that's an interesting sort of tag to put there. And I wonder if you could talk about that, because it says here that you even stopped teaching yoga because of it. Mm. Well, that's the short version, but I mean, the long version was I, I, like, as I sit here with you guys today, I'm really in a place where I'm sort of becoming a Zen Buddhist, you know, mm -hmm. where I'm mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, I read about all this in Zen Buddhism. Like there is nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. And I am, I am like, I feel probably doing a good job on the spiritual path in that I no longer, my goal is no longer to not have anxiety or strong feelings mm -hmm. or overwhelm or a lot of the things that this particular body of mine experiences. Mm -hmm. Whereas before when I was teaching, studying yoga, I mean, I very much unknowingly was wanting my yoga to make me somebody else mm -hmm. that didn't, that didn't, that didn't have pain and mm. suffering. Mm -hmm. And now I realize that that's not a thing. Like that's mm. not the deal here down on earth. And, yeah. and so when I say I quit teaching yoga, what I mean by that is I started to practice yoga, the mm. real yoga, the yoga of the heart, the, 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 the yoga sahaja, right? The spontaneous mm. constancy of yoga that requires you in every breath. And that's the practice now. And so when you, and it's not like, oh, I'm advanced now. No, no, no. It's just this re revelation slowly reveals itself of like, it doesn't matter <laughs> what I do. Yeah. <laughs> it's the quality of the consciousness upon which I approach it. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, I feel like I'm actually becoming a yogini mm -hmm. and 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 maybe sharing an, a more authentic, ever more authentic version of that, mm -hmm. that, that in this moment, like I lift weights <laughs> because I was so flexible, yeah. you know, yeah. and like that is the yoga in this moment. And, and mm -hmm. certainly I could talk with you guys in five years and be like, oh my God, I'm so madly in love with like asana flows again, but mm -hmm. <laughs> I needed to do that. And I think yeah. A lot of us are in, as we move along the spectrum of our life, the yoga that we did in our 20s or 30s or 40s, it, it continues to shift and change. And I, I think that's a sign that you're you're supple and you're juicy and you're alive, mm -hmm. right? I don't want to be doing like, not to name names, but like, I don't want my yoga to look like what yeah. it looked like 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 I love that. And I think it it kind of leads naturally into the school that you created, the Shakti school, because it's so, you know, I think this feminine energy is so um, 
diverse in its its expressions and does need to like change as we age, as we go through different cycles, as we go through different transitions in our life. And like even just the female body, you know, experiences so much like just a vaster range of changes um, than a male body in, you know, pregnancy and menopause and giving birth and you know, Mm -hmm. even just our cycles every month. And there's just Mm -hmm. this constant kind of flow and fluctuation and high energy and low energy. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, not to say that male bodies don't go through different transition periods, but it's just very um, maybe amplified (laughs) in in very obvious ways in a feminine kind of form. And, And this idea even of the Shakti being like, the power that is giving the energy to that consciousness or to that Shiva form, Mm. right. To that sort of male counterpart. Mm. Um, Yeah. I just, I, I, I love this idea of the Shakti school and, and everything that you've talked about as far as like the evolution of practice in your own life. There's a piece to that, that the Shakti and the Shiva, because they're Mm -hmm. always together. Yeah. (laughs) It's. It, I learned this new word, and it makes me feel very smart. It's teleos, like a teleological yeah. process is happening. And for the listeners that don't know, I didn't know that word. And it's such a freaking good word because what it means is there is a there is a function inside of us. We could call it that shakti force, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And the shiva that is actually taking us on a learning journey. Mm. And the only response before that kind of spiritual understanding is humility. Mm. Like I genuinely have no idea what's happening, right? (laughs) And I do know I'm looking for the signs and symbols along the way that are reminding me you're on a journey, you're on a journey. And like the more I can kind of step back and say, I really don't know what will happen today. I do know I'm going to have an emotional reaction. (laughs) and that's that's predictable it's totally (laughs) predictable and i'm a big old fat hothead and you know i've got all the fire and like it's on all the water and so like what 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 that shows me is like i'm gonna get triggered throughout the day it's gonna happen there's gonna be a moment when i don't like the feeling that i'm having and that's where we do yoga yeah and this whole culture that we're in right now is almost the complete opposite it says i want the outside world and everyone else to make me feel okay Mm. and we've and the yogis and the mystics they are like no no no, that's never gonna happen like yes we want to we want to love each other we want to do right by each other we want to respect each other and if i can like speak in a way that makes you feel more loved and more comfortable of course i'm going to do that but the but the spiritual journey is i am learning to tolerate myself mm. Yeah. In whatever arises through the field of experience that's about to happen, like that's the yoga, mm-hmm. that's the shakti guiding me, and and I think it it tends to teach us through challenging things. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's not so much the orgasms and bonbons and puppies, moment, yeah. like happy puppies. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it does. That's what we want, <laughs> right? But like. Uh, my puppy like wouldn't go down the stairs and she's like, right. And I'm laughing my ass off. Like, look at this dog. She's so, she can do it. Right. And I feel like that's really the essence of what, what is happening in our psyche. Mm -hmm. Like for me, at least it's like, this sucks. Mm. And the, and the God within me is like laughing, like you're doing great. You're doing great. (laughs) You know? And, and that really is the teleological journey that we're on. Yeah. 
I love I'm that. I'm just going to look that teleological. <laughs> don't, don't, don't Google it. <laughs> He's like, well, I'm getting, I'm getting fact checked live. No, no, no. I'm just very interested. Teleo. There it is. Relating to. It's so, it's so incredible. It's of phenomena. <laughs> Well, but the phenomenon has its own intended goal. Yeah. So that's the goal. It's like your future self is pulling you to it. Mm. In terms I mean, come of the on, man. They serve. Kind of like There's a Dharma, a right? It is Dharma. Mm-hmm. It's the word, for, you nailed it. It's Dharma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have objects beautiful. in our so lives chill that out. have purpose. <laughs> Okay. You're you're on your way, whether you like it or not. <laughs> right, kicking and screaming, or you know, riding the wave softly. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Mm. So, what was it? When did you, I guess, create, found the Shakti School? How did that come about? Oh, I don't know. I think it was like six years ago. Mm-hmm. I I wrote Healthy, Happy, Sexy. It was a book about Ayur- I call it Cosmo Magazine. You know, meets Ayurveda, sort of a <laughs> primer for re- us regular gals on on Ayurveda and. People seemed to like it, and I was teaching a lot of yoga, and people just asked me to do a Ayurvedic certification course. And mm-hmm. I was like, no, no, I want to teach like yoga, juiciness, movement, this and that. And that people just kept asking, and I finally listened to them yeah. and started to say, I-, I think I should listen. And yeah, then we created it. And it's an Ayurveda certification, mm-hmm. but really it's like just like lady life school, yeah. you know, it's it's a soulful place. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. What what kind of things do people learn when they're coming into well, we, the school? We learn all the basics of Ayurveda and and I, I kind of let other people smarter than me teach a lot of the Ayurveda stuff. And then I teach a lot of the Tantra and the spirituality and the mysticism and a lot of the energy work. And so we, we do everything. We talk about conscious sexuality, herbology, um, cooking. We have amazing, several amazing chefs. Dr. Dr. John Dooliar just joined our staff and he's teaching on Ayurvedic aging and athleticism. Oh, cool. So we really, I mean, I could talk and oh, we do, we do so many cool th- breast massage, yoni steaming. I mean, we do a lot of really interesting things, yeah. but the whole thing that frames it is really about taking the space and time to be able to tune into the inner into intuitive sense. Mm-hmm. And that, that, guru that internalized sense of quiet and peace and love that that begins to become the teacher upon which you make lifestyle choices or relationship decisions or mm. you know and the, and i think that i i really want to say it's important to me because we are dealing with like a lot of rules and regulations and formalities in Ayurveda, which is all good because they're traditions that need to be preserved. But even the teachings themselves say they must be coming from this place of being situated within the soul, within the self. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a, I'm a, I consider myself like sort of a rule breaker because um, I don't, I think when you're kind of steeped in the soul, it doesn't always look like the formal rules and regulations. And of course this is a very feminine form path. So um you know, we break rules a little bit. And, yeah. I, I, feel I like love hearing you say that. It just, I feel like a <laughs> scene <laughs> justified. Yes. I, I, I feel like we might have walked over the, the breast massage and yoni stimulation piece. <laughs> and I just like, we he just kind of went right over he it. Said, he <sighs> said yoni. So you actually beautifully presented us with a Freudian slip. Yeah. <laughs> he said... You said yoni stimulation. Uh-huh. Is that not what you said? I, I said steaming. yoni steaming. Yoni steaming. That does sound quite stimulating. Um, 
I the question I have about it is um, I need to have YouTube back on my podcast. This is so fun. <laughs> um, I personally, I I really I really love reading a Cosmo. If you could put it in front of me, I will I will take the opportunity to learn. I'm a lifelong learner. <laughs> Um, and I liked how you put it, that it was an Ayurveda book with a kind of cosmos slant. And you definitely get that, like, you know, chapter 12, why modern girls should meditate or, the, you know, the power of your womb. You know, um, there's 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 lovely there's lovely chapters here that are fascinating and a bit a, a bit uh, Cosmo for you. Absolutely not. Okay. No, no. Um, <laughs> If I, I had a subscription to Sassy Magazine, you're going to tell me I'm intimidated by co uh, Cosmo version of Ayurveda. I don't think so. But what this is where I want to ask you about is as how this the providence of this book, because mm. my experience of India is that it is a hardcore pa uh, patriarchal, mm. <clears throat> sexually deeply oppressed society mm. that um, is very highly reactionary to mm. texts in the public sphere that suggest anything otherwise like like the the amount of flame that wendy doniger received for her hindu book that suggests that you know in pre-historical times there was sexuality in india mm. you know there are a billion four indians you know from sex but <laughs> something you know so i just how do you how do you balance this incredibly sexually oppressive um, and patriarchal place like India with a with a with the creation of a book like this? It's so much more about female sexual empowerment. Mm. Well, two things. One, thank you for being real and brave and saying what you think. And two, welcome to why I'm stressed out all the time. <laughs> I mean, thank you for I was you, gonna being, say. you being kind <laughs> enough to say, look, so when you feel like you're in a paradox, mm. you're a tantric. Mm. Like that's mm. that's where we live. We live in the burial grounds. We do prana life practices sitting on, you know, gray in graveyards, mm -hmm. right? We I'm not saying I do that regularly, mm. but the the idea is that and, and in some ways, we could say the same thing about our Western Christian puritanical roots. Mm -hmm. Do you know that? You know, churches used to be places where people entered into ecstatic dance and the prana was getting too high. And so they took the pews out. Or they put the pews in excuse right. me, so that people would sit still. Right. <laughs> and so we have we have this story that we could say is an Indian story, but really it's a it's a story that's had its sort of flowering in different places at different times everywhere mm -hmm. where it affects women and men where we have this sort of denial of sexuality and, and sensuality. And, and then we have the flip side, which we could say is modern Western society, which is just as insidious, where everything is just displayed as if nothing is holy or sacred and mm -hmm. everything can be sort of in the public sphere. And there's nothing hidden, like by nature, keeping something hidden is the way you make it erotic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and holding an inner sanctum. That's why we have churches, temples, cathedrals. They're not places of a lot of light. We bring a candle because they're dark mm -hmm. intentionally. It's being held in a womb space, mm -hmm. right? And so we so it, there's a lot of paradox here. Um, I I I was in India. I was actually in Kujaraho in the erotic temples. Mm -hmm. 
very much feeling this energy. I mean, if you've ever been there, it is wild. <laughs> and the imagery is, I mean, they were just, and, and, and of course it was happening, but it was also symbolic mm-hmm. of energy. Mm-hmm. And I was standing there at this beautiful place and this young man comes up to me and I could already feel what was going down. And he was like, madam, <laughs> you like these erotic images. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I'm trying to be a good cultural steward and tourist. I'm like, yes, very wonderful. He's like, no, you really like, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so I, I, I do know what you're talking about. And I think, um, you know, there are a lot of women who come into our program who are from India, who feel very seen mm-hmm. because here we're taking these ancient teachings that we do our best to present in a respectful way while at the same time doing exactly what these ancient texts, the Charaka Samhita says, these words must be presented for the time, place, and people in which they are. They must be given in a cultural way that's relevant so that people can hear them. Otherwise, they'll become undigestible. Mm-hmm. You have to make things warm soup for people initially, or they will become poison. And so what I've really, with all my heart, tried to do is be real, mm-hmm. you know, and and there, and I've gotten a lot of pushback. Yeah, I can imagine. Not a lot, but, but some, right? I, I mean, I've imagine. gotten, you don't know how many white guys in Marin who've written me and told, you know, wearing, they're wearing like their Hindu outfits and telling me I'm the worst thing that's ever happened to Ayurveda. I oh my God. And I'm like, I, 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 initially it was like really bothersome to me because my heart was so full of that young yeah. enthusiasm for being a steward of these practices. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to keep doing my best to do that. And I think that's what we have to do. But as women, what I tell the women, like even a book like the Kama Sutra, this was written by men for men in a time period where women did not have a lot of power. Mm-hmm. And so I always say to our students, look, here are a bunch of Taoist tantric books because they are way more feminine friendly. Mm-hmm. But, but more importantly, what my teachers tell me and what the inner teacher within me is sensing is that these practices will never be able to be written down. And that is what blows people's brain holes open. <laughs> and then they leave, they either leave my school or they say, oh, thank you. Because they're oral traditions. They're meant mm. to be passed from my heart to your heart. And they're also personal, mm-hmm. right? Like the way you and your partner make love, I would never, ever want to be a involved in that or have, tell you a book about it or you know Wait, yes what are sure we talking about? <laughs> no one wants to like, read your transcripts <laughs> I, okay. I i think that mm. i think we can offer up great advice on working with energy don't get me wrong yeah. but i think there's something spontaneous and magical that emerges when two people are intimate that mm. can't be codified totally. and i feel the same way about yoga asana mm. i feel the same way about spirituality in general we have to walk that double-edged sword that is a paradox that, yes, we need teachers and, yes, we need lineages and, yes, we need these practices codified to some extent. But when we go too far, which is essentially what a lot of these, quote, patriarchal systems have done, they flip back on themselves and become the very structural things that keep us oppressed and keep us out of awakening, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's that great story of the yogi who's so obsessed with his samadhi and his wife keeps making noises and she comes in with like a little sweet treat for him. And he just rages at her like, 
do you know I was in like the seventh level of Samadhi, blah, blah, blah. And she says to him, what kind of Samadhi is this that goes away when you open your eyes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of yeah. course, in that moment, he becomes enlightened and realizes she is his guru all yeah. along. <laughs> And that's how I feel about the spirituality world. Mm-hmm. When I go and I visit with my 70-year-old people in the nursing home that I get the pleasure of being with once a week, mm-hmm. and they are where this one little woman with her hunched over back, she can barely look up at me. Her spine is so oh. curved over. And this African-American woman with her little hat that says, Jesus loves me. Mm-hmm. And she has stains on her shirt because she's crunched over and she's oh spilling gosh. her food all over. Yes. And she looks up at me and she says, you're a dancer. <laughs> so you just come here and they said you were going to teach us yoga stretches, but you're a dancer. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, that to me is the guru. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm interested in. And you cannot, you can't get that in a book. And I know that doesn't even answer your question, but I hope mm-hmm. it t- touches on something. Totally. I love, I love what you're saying because I, I feel, I mean, I just feel so, um, so aligned with that because it's even like what I love to talk about, which is, you know, finding that spiritual or that mystic experience in everyday life. Because without, to me, that's the yoga. That is, why you would practice yoga is to have exactly what you're talking about, like realize that holiness or that mm-hmm. divinity that's mm. all around you in other beings, mm. whether they see it or not, you know, and taking well, God as your teacher all around you. Exactly. And the next level of it, because I love those juicy bliss moments. Mm -hmm. What if we were doing it with the crappy moments where you're picking up your dog's poop because it woke and it woke you up the night before and like somebody dumped you and, you know, you have a pimple, like all these things where we're like, (laughs) I don't like that. And I don't like that. And I don't Mm -hmm. like this. And I don't like my internal state. Mm -hmm. Like what if that also were the fuel Mm -hmm. for the spiritual fire. And that's what I'm kind of working with right now of, of not needing to always be in the bliss. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Tell us what your next book is, is focused on. Cause it sounds so interesting. It's a sex manual. Just <laughs> kidding. Oh. <laughs> it's about y- Yoni stimulation. No. So I was, I'm on Gamazon right now. And I'm, if you could, it's glow flow. Is that no, what that is? It's glow worthy. Glow, glow it's not worthy. on there yet. It's no, not I'm, coming out. It's not coming out till there's next There's a place fall. where you can subscribe for future purchases. So great. Well, get on it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a book that I was telling you guys before we started the podcast. Like it, its original title was Holy, mm, and yeah. it, it was inspired by the by the quintessential Carl Jung idea that he would, you know, said, I would rather be whole than good. And Mm. um, really trying to, uh, you know, offer up a 360 degree version of spirituality where you get to be one of these goddesses who's called she who is never not broken. Mm. Beautiful. It's really a book to her. And, 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 you know, it's practical. There's a lot on energy work through the mentorship I've been doing over the past four years with a woman named Crystal Mortensen, who's a very powerful um, somatic therapist, mm-hmm. uh, but also a, a master energy worker out in Hawaii. And, 
And so inspired by our deep partnership of now about four or five years, I, this book came through and, and, it, and I hope it can be a, a way that, you know, it, it, it's for women and men, but we definitely talk a little bit about women specifically of how to connect to, to, to God through your own body. Mm-hmm. So in that way, it's a, it's a tantric book. Yeah. Beautiful. It's, I'm just, that. I'm just really fascinated by all, but this whole conversation is, is this kind of this elemental conflict between Shiva and Krishna or Shiva and Vishnu is the, mm-hmm. the establishment of society and its, and its norms and the way that a society can keep itself safe from threats. Mm-hmm. But obviously, no one's going to reach fucking enlightenment when you're worried about being safe from threats all the time. Mm. Whereas, you know, you've got your your left-handed path. You have your your Shaivites who are trying to, you know, encourage you to let go of constructs and let go of of these normative behaviors that are holding you back from pure consciousness and from the pure mystic experience. And yet. So like this is this is why you know uh, uh, say like the BJP or the the Hindutva will try and control their mystic mystic religion their 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 Hindu practices there because women have to be controlled so that the child doesn't go off you know taking a whole bunch of drugs in a discotheque in Spain <laughs> that's a bad it's a bad outcome right of the family and so uh, but yet it. We do want to also encourage the this mystic experience that you do mm-hmm. experience when you're on a whole bunch of drugs in a discotheque in Spain. <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> very often, and um, so it's it's really it's it's a really kind of in a very fundamental, elemental way, an incredibly frustrating experience of being alive. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. To totally. juggle these two fucking things that are terrible. Totally. To have to try yeah, and juggle. Yeah, I was sitting outside this morning and I was feeling, to speak in like the modern way, the part of me, yeah. one of my parts, um, <laughs> which I named Jennifer. Um, one of my parts I was noticing was like this, and I'm like getting real honest. Yeah. And I mean, this part was basically like, fuck this shit. I don't want to be here. Not like, oh, I'm going to peace out suicidal depression. Nothing like that, right? But mm. like just this piece you spoke to of the fundamental paradox of just being here. Mm. And, the, and the deal that Buddha talked about, I think most eloquently, that like you are here in university of soul. Mm-hmm. And by nature, it is impermanent. And yet you can never get out of it until you can. It mm-hmm. is a samsaric wheel that's just going to keep going, right? Mm-hmm. And and the deep frustration around the paradox between the sort of left and right mm-hmm. of destruction and continuation. And why I love Carl Jung so much is that this, this, this way of seeing the psyche allows for your inner Shaivite and your inner Vishnuite. It allows Mm. for all of these different parts of you because there's a part of me that desperately wants to be here and is so Mm -hmm. grateful to be here. And you know it, right? You just go outside and look at a bird for like two (laughs) seconds and you're just like, what? This is a miracle. I'm so grateful. (laughs) And yet there's this other part of me that's like, 
this is miserable. You know, somebody's really annoying me on this email and, you know, all the minutia of daily life. And I think my teacher says it's when you just recognize that you're nailed to the spot Mm. between this paradox place, mm-hmm. it's very Zen. It's very mm. middle path. And I don't identify as any of those groups of people because mm-hmm. I think as soon as you start to identify with one particular mystical flavor, you know, there is a value in going deep in one path only in as much as you're able to know that it's not real. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many, how many times have you all, I'm sure, and myself seen ourselves or our friends or other people get really caught in their spiritual mm-hmm. practice and their yeah. identity. No, <laughs> right? Orthodoxy suddenly comes forth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's but that is the wonderful thing about Krishna is it, it, this Vaish, this you know Vishnu mm-hmm. avatar is that he does eventually say, you know, mm-hmm. give up all oh I just ripped my wife's <laughs> earbuds out <laughs> in my excitement. Um, give up all things and and come to me is mm. which is something that you, is so important to you is this bhakti devotion exactly mm-hmm. and what does it mean mm-hmm. does it mean we throw out our clothes and give all our money away maybe but what it means is that we offer up each moment mm-hmm. each thought each feeling into the fire of consciousness and here's the deal it's not judging you know you're in your ego if you're just like this is the good thing and this is the bad thing and this is the part of me i can't you know and and to like really be in the power of the bhakti bhakti is the end result of having done something else oh like prostration Mm. yeah bhakti is the natural field of mind Mm. Mm -hmm. I love that because it's like love, right? Love is the the essence of of what connects, what brings together, what creates that wholeness. Yeah. I wish you guys were my friends in Charlottesville. You just be <laughs> kicking. It. I'm like, oh, y'all are. So, I'm hashtag attachment. W- that's a. That's we can a, talk anytime. That's anytime. The, perfect. That's um. Y'all come down to Charlottesville. I'll talk like a southerner and I'll speak Sanskrit to you right. That's University of Virginia, right? Yeah. And, I, and so, I, I, my house is actually four blocks from UVA. Oh, so wow. do you know our friend John Boltman there? Have you met him around? No, but I need to be introduced to, to good people. I'm, I still oh. feel like I'm new to the area because when I moved here, I was traveling and touring. Okay. And it's only been the past COVID years that I've really been like, okay, this is my community. I'm going to really invest. Yeah. So I'm, I still feel like a newbie. There's actually this, this place is a secret. Like apparently all underground is amethyst quartz crystals and it draws a lot of healers and writers. John Grisham lives here. Mm. Sissy Spacek, um, Chad Harbach, great American novelist. And, um, Goldfinch. I don't know if you read the Goldfinch. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Goldfinch. Yeah, the, what's here. her name? Yeah, I can't remember. Uh, and you know who else is here? Yeah. The Rock. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> he used to live in Calgary, you know? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like a secret a secret place. That's cool. Oh, what is That's her so name? so fun. That was wonderful. That so tell us a little bit about how can people work with you? What's, what's coming up for you in the Donna next Tart. couple of mm. weeks? 
<laughs> oh my lord. I mean, January 18th, we launch level one. We have one thing we do, really. Mm-hmm. It starts in January. Um, so if people want to join our year-long program, we have that coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, and we let people in the doors through through January, usually, maybe even February if they're nice. They <laughs> ask nicely. Yeah. Um, and then you know, that's really it. I'm on Instagram, you know, we, we have a newsletter and we have a subscription program. So if you want to join me once a month and just do a little, a little spiritual practice together, that happens. And yeah, like I said, just all, all, all my love goes into this one thing really. And that's Ayurveda school right now. Yeah. That's wonderful. And I mean, I love how you've taken this ancient, you know, practice or this ancient, all these ancient teachings of Ayurveda and I've studied Ayurveda a little bit as well, but the thing that always kind of, you know, never really sat with me in a way mm. that I could put it into practice was just, it's so complicated, <laughs> you know? Like when you yeah. really start to get into it, it's it's mm. quite like you have to lay down your mat mm. over here and build a hut this way, <laughs> like lay out all the things and like but, set I mean, up look, your life you... this way. And, you know, there's so many practices to do just to like. Isn't, what's that called? Vastu? Vastu. Vastu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just but to like, you have in to, the morning. <laughs> you have to pause and ha- this brings so much compassion for us. Mm-hmm. You have to pause and think about the mind of the people that are creating this and the amount of time and energy and spaciousness that they had in their lives to be able to feel that level of subtlety of energy. So what I tell people is if you grew up like me eating ding-dongs and (laughs) Slurpees from 7-Eleven and y'all granddaddy was smoking right on top of your head, you know, like like a good afternoon right there. how we roll that is that is an afternoon for some of us like like if you can just start eating warm and wet cooked foods like start there (laughs) i I mean you know people are always getting so worried about the rules i'm like where are you starting from (laughs) and um that's what i've been thinking is that a true left-handed path is i should really start smoking again because (laughs) It fills me with so much love. Every, I smelled someone. Mm. Someone was smoking ye- yesterday with her dog. She was oh, yeah. out. She was like, "I'm going to smoke a cigarette. I'm with, out with my dog." And mm. I was like, "Oh, it reminds me of my grandparents so much." And they would just sit there and smoke. They would blow smoke on my face because you got to learn them young. He's They're not going to learn. Back. They're not going to learn unless you blow smoke. They got to <laughs> breathe it in. Mm. It's like we have to accustom them to their life in a seedy bar surrounded by pool tables right. and prostitutes. Right away. Yeah. Today. So there do you know mm. that old that great Buddhist uh I don't know, Cohen or legend about the the student asked the t- the Buddha or the Buddhist teacher guru, um, you know, master, can I smoke cigarettes while I meditate? And he's like, <laughs> Absolutely not. And then he's like, But you can meditate while you smoke. <laughs> <laughs> and that really that really summarizes those yeah. two paths, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I love Absolutely. that. <laughs> So, so I'm going to go, yeah, if you're going to be smoking, definitely enjoy it. That's right. Be present. Be Be present. present. Bring that amount of presence. I love, I mean, you, you kind of came full circle to that, that we were talked about at the beginning is like how much presence, how much awareness, how much consciousness can you bring into the things that you're doing, into the relationships Mm. that you're having, into, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever you're setting your mind to. 
there's a book I have. I just feel like we're not even on podcast. I'm just like hanging out with you guys on Zoom. But there's this book you guys have to check out that our listeners would love. And I've never met him, but there's a book called Already Free by the Buddhist psychologist. Um, God, his name is slipping. Uh, Bruce Tift. Okay, oh. I love that. Um, he's a he's a he's like a licensed marriage family therapist kind of guy, but deep deep Buddhist roots, b- mm-hmm. b- Boulder B- Buddhism. You know, right, Boulder right, Buddhism. Right, right, right. It's like a real center for Namarupa. Buddhism. Yeah, yeah, and that book is like Desert Island top five for me. Hmm. Amazing. And the other one is this incredible guy who's like underground who i one day want to like find this guy if you're listening michael brown has written a book called the presence process is he the he's not the one that died recently is he did he die i don't know he's who's the one that's like he's south african Seattle. oh different guy no, no he i don't you know, think this michael is michael stone oh and yeah, it was yeah. in victoria, mm. victoria right. <laughs> but those two books really do speak to this they're so practical and yet they really speak to the paradox Mm. of the of the path of being developmentally mature doing the work doing the therapy doing the somatic release doing the trauma release blah 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 and all that shit that we all have to do and then this very pristine diamond-like presence that's already given that's Mm -hmm. already here and the need for both therapists right psychotherapists as psychologists to understand that as well as people who are more focused on that shiva pristine consciousness to we've all known those people who are like meditating for 40 hours but they're really bad boyfriends Mm -hmm. right right? (laughs) and so (laughs) like that developmental (laughs) realm of like well your mom made you this way so you need to work through this and you know those two realms can actually come together and coexist and i think that's just such a beautiful sort of way of understanding the feminine and masculine the yin and the yang of it all it obviously has nothing to do with your genitals yeah right or your biology but also everything to do with it (laughs) it's just an energy though it's just like i i love it i love how brave you are I do really think that there is something to be said for the physiology that doesn't get a lot of press Mm -hmm. that the ancient, especially Taoists understood around our anatomy Mm -hmm. and the way that our, the juices as they call them affect our consciousness. And Mm -hmm. it initially at least is very different. It is Mm -hmm. different. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, we're sort of being told, not to make it so mm-hmm. and i that's that's a cross i'd die on mm-hmm. your basic mm-hmm. experience of being uh inward or outward is fundamental it's a you know it's a fundamental foundational mm-hmm. way of thinking about the world mm-hmm. you know? well i mean even just like it if you think scientifically i mean there's there's hormones there's um, you know, chemistry, there's, and this is, of course, there's variations, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. there are like sort of large, so broad generalizations as well. And Otherwise, what, we wouldn't have the, dichotomy. <laughs> right. And what's so cool about the the, the duality yeah. of the yin and yang or the masculine, feminine, the male and the female, what's so cool about that huge spectrum is that it has endless variation. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, that sort of explains everything and we should all be at peace, right? Like there's that duality has endless variation. Mm -hmm. And 
and and then you get to what you know the the very hated Jordan Peterson says is like oh the Canadian yeah. yeah the Canadian <laughs> he's very very hated and he says if you keep bringing you know each of these generalities down further and further and further i.e. intersectionality yeah. right and we keep kind of parsing the intersectionality on a on a grid what you get is called ready the individual <laughs> so like so cool right yeah. it's like oh yeah individuality yeah. is definitely an important thing to, mm -hmm. to acknowledge mm -hmm. yeah yeah he's a, he's a guy that um often <clears throat> dies on the cross of uh take of being taken out of context <laughs> and it's you know, yeah it's having a rough having a rough go of it yeah, that. I have I've 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 listened to him a lot and read his all his books and uh, I, re I really love him and I love a lot of the things he says and and I'm sure I'll get a few emails I always do whenever <laughs> I mention him in any sort of positive way. Mm. But I also see his dark side mm -hmm. and it's it's pretty dark. Mm -hmm. You know, and so like the I mean it's a good example of like the way in which we put people into good and bad boxes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I've really seen him go through this horrific journey with benzos and, and being addicted to benzos and being given benzo, whatever they're called, and diazepam. almost benzodiazepine. Yeah. yeah. And like coming out the other side and, and I can just hear the like trauma being released in him. Mm -hmm. He definitely has, got, has PTSD. I mean, it's very obvious. But I mention him because I think it's a great example of the way that we, our mind is so quick to want to put people into these good and bad boxes. And I think that's really where we are culturally as well. Mm -hmm. The us versus them, the mm -hmm. atomization of our, of our society is emblematic of the way that we're doing that inside ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so like this, this way of seeing ourselves as all of these different parts that all get to come to the spiritual party and be loved on. And, and, and some of them be, been given good boundaries, like, sorry, you don't get to date. You're 12, mm. <laughs> right? Like yeah. you don't get to choose the guys that I go out with anymore. You're 12, mm -hmm. right? So I, it's been really helpful for me to, when I do that internally, yeah. it's much less likely that we're going to externalize and project that outward, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I think that we're sort of in a come to a crisis of sorts in our culture of what a Jungian would call projection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, one hundred percent. And like the cancel culture is really canceling aspects of ourselves out, and and I mean we can't really do that, can we? <laughs> so I love we that you said it. You said it so party. well. <laughs> you said it so well. It's it's we're canceling ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, but I think it's kind of shifting. People mm -hmm. are starting to be like, yeah, that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, I think it helps to have these more nuanced conversations about about mm -hmm. situations and people and things and and also bringing to the table the complexity of, of so being true. human and this idea so of complex. paradox, right? Then mm -hmm. nothing is completely, you know, within the black is black. There's that little speck of white like you're talking about, you know, with the yin mm -hmm. and the yang. Within the within the light, there's a, a speck of darkness and, and you need to have these you know, you, nothing Shadows. is ever just one thing. Mm. And like between, mm. like you were saying, the one and the zero is an infinite number of points. And so you have the infinity right there between the zero and the one. And so mm. 
where and even where are you gonna stop more, right there's no there's no end to it there's just there is only like what is infinite i mean i can barely take that in with my mind this idea <laughs> of infinite but yeah what i what i feel is like if you really are on a spiritual path i think that i've seen when i'm in my little little sense of being okay i'm in my dharma <laughs> There's always this quality of, of humility. Mm-hmm. And and I know I'm talking a lot about Jung, but I'm geeking out on that hard right now. And he says, if you don't know who you really are, if you don't find what he called the self, the soul, mm. you will do one of one of two things will happen or or both. You will it will show up as a symptom mm-hmm. or it will come to you as a projection it can only be synthesized as a symbol, he would say. So the self has to be known. And I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe I'm going to actually take all this Jungian stuff and like do another Cosmo Magazine meets Carl Jung because (laughs) it is dense as fuck. Like you have got to really plow through the stuff. But but what he said, you guys, this is so powerful. It says, if you don't really touch the essence of who you are, don't worry. He said, because thank God, he says, you will become neurotic. Mm. <laughs> thank God she became neurotic. Mm. And what will occur is it will show up in your body and your mind as a symptom. Mm-hmm. One out of every two Americans says that they have some level of anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. It Or it will show up as a projection. Mm-hmm. That is social media. Social media is a selfie taking a picture of a selfie taking a picture of a selfie. <laughs> like it is it's projection meet projection. And so I just think, okay, if, and when you turn that around and you take back the power of your projections, that Shakti Mm -hmm. comes back to you. Mm -hmm. So that to me is the ultimate yoga. Yoga definition for me is to make that which is in us uh, that is unconscious conscious. Mm -hmm. And that's just what I'm trying to do and, 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 and share it with other people. Well, I I love this paradox that you hold in yourself, which is the the Southern Bell as mystic, and it's, it is a phenomenal. Uh, will you come on my team and just <laughs> be our be our public? You can just speak for us. I just love it how you kind of digest me and spit it back out in a way I I just never would think to do. No, che- <laughs> chewing chewing on women has been one of my pastimes. Um, <laughs> And I look forward to that opportunity in the future. And uh, but thank you so much for for you sharing your story with us. There is like a just a there's a bottomless well here, and I would love to mm-hmm. to uh, dip our toes back in. Is this... Drink the drink the cup. Drink from the cup. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are. I will not be exaggerating when I say this, and I'm known to exaggerate. <laughs> All, all, all great tantrics were very hyperbolic and, and never politically correct. Oh my goodness. But you guys have been the single funnest podcast I have ever done, bar none. I feel like I'm with friends that I've known for a decade. And I, I really just feel like uh, I hope this is just the beginning of an ongoing conversation and friendship. It, it just feels so wonderful to be with you guys. I would love Fabulous. that. I would, I, that I would so recommend much. to everyone to pick <laughs> yeah, up the... Healthy, Happy and Sexy by Katie Silcox. This is uh, 
Beyond Words Press. And look for Glow Worthy. When is Glow Worthy released? October 2023. Coming, coming, oh, yeah. coming, coming. In a few months. Coming soon. <laughs> Pre-order your copy. And- <laughs> coming soon. Exactly. <laughs> to a Barnes well, and thank Noble you guys. You or an Amazon. Thank you guys. This has been just so fun, like I said. And I and I feel like these are the kinds of conversations we all need to be having. So thank mm-hmm. you for being 100%. brave enough to have it with me. Oh, it's our pleasure. And quick, quick, before you go, I just want to remind you that you can sign up for my online workshop with Keen on Yoga. It's happening at the end of January, January 28th. It's going to be all about sacred cycles and a special Ashtanga yoga based sequence that you can do at different times in your cycle, whether it's your menstrual cycle or pre-pregnancy, post-pregnancy, things that you can adapt and change to respond to changing energy levels, changing time, changing demands on your time. We're going to be talking all about different cycles in our life and how we can best adapt our practice and also have a little practice to go along with it. So I hope you'll join me January 28th. It's a Saturday. It's online and it's live. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking waves There's a hard wind and the soil